This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, first, some rioters at the March for Trump indefensibly breached the U.S. Capitol and sent members of Congress on the run as they sought to certify the presidential election. And what started to happen next on social media? Well, shortly thereafter, Twitter temporarily suspended President Trump's official account. Then Facebook indefinitely suspended his account. Instagram also cracked down on him. Then Twitter indefinitely suspended two of the accounts on which President Trump was tweeting as well as the accounts of many popular conservatives. Those went too. Then they started yanking scores of followers from the conservative accounts that were left. Within the blink of an eye then, just as clear-thinking Americans were exiting these platforms in protest, Amazon, Apple, and Google all cut off Parler, one of the few free speech social media alternatives to which so many Trump supporters have been fleeing, including yours truly. This all happened amid insane leftist calls for a re-impeachment and or arrest of President Trump. The DOJ so far says it doesn't plan to seek incitement charges. We'll see what happens with that. But this also happened after Michelle Obama called for President Trump to be removed from social media. Now, isn't that interesting? All of it has really shell-shocked millions of Americans and also scared them. And they are rightly scared at the prospect that it's not we, the people, who are running the country anymore. Big tech seems to rule us now. Why didn't the Republican Party, after all those anger-filled Section 230 hearings, reign in these technocrats when they had a chance? And worse, what is ahead for America next in an atmosphere in which the left has just taken total power and appears to be weaponizing it like never before? There's so much to talk about. And I'm just very, very grateful to have back with us the man who has warned us all about technocracy for years. Patrick Wood is editor-in-chief of Technocracy News and Trends, a leading and critical expert on historic technocracy, as well as sustainable development, the 2030 agenda, and many other trends. And his books include Technocracy, The Hard Road to World Order. Pat, welcome to you. It's wonderful to have you back with us, but thank you so much for being here. Janet, I'm glad I wouldn't want to miss the opportunity because what we're going to say absolutely needs to be said while we still have the ability to say it. I was thinking the same thing. So go ahead. What just happened here with big tech going after free speech in such a brazen, unprecedented fashion? Well, the teeth have finally come out. I, uh, you know, People are running around trying to figure out what happened. They really don't have much idea of what's going on. But you'll remember, I know we had this conversation back in early last year, just as the um, as the uh, pandemic was breaking out, uh, that I made the, the statement back then that this was, in fact, technocracy's coup de grace mm. that was going to take down the entire planet. It's not just America, it's the entire planet. And uh, technocrats uh, have a different mindset than anybody, any other group of people, including ideologues from Marxism and communism and socialism and fascism. Technocracy and the technocrat mind is altogether different. And we're seeing this now. It's, it's, it's micromanagement by technology, by using the, 
the advanced technology that uh, is at their disposal these days. And and I have to say, just to underscore the point, you you, you look at a person like Jeff Bezos, you look at a person like uh, um, like Mark Zuckerberg or like Elon Musk, and I you just cannot call them communists for Pete's sake. They're not. Right. They're technocrats. And uh, incidentally, uh, Elon Musk just became the richest man in the world. He surpassed Jeff Bezos this last week. He did. And so he's now yeah. the richest man in the world. And I would remind everybody that his grandfather was head of Technocracy, Inc., the movement in Canada during the 1930s and 40s. He grew up in a home that was steeped in technocracy. <sighs> so this, this thing is happening right now is an extension of everything that was going on this last year. But they know they have the upper hand at this point. Yeah. And they're, they're exercising their option to control the entire narrative. And this is what they're doing. And everybody's wringing their hands and they're cursing under their breath or whatever, running around in circles, you know, trying to figure out what to do next. Uh, this is going to get so much worse this year before it could possibly get any better. It's just inconceivable. But uh, right now we see the iron razor sharp teeth of technocracy coming out to take complete control over society. This is the clear and present danger, Janet. Well, it sure is. And to silence the president of the United States, that's something that's really hard to even understand. Uh, To cut off the president, who obviously could call a press conference, he has other means of communication, but he's had this direct communication with the American people, primarily through the Twitter account that is so famous. But, But what of that move in and of itself? They cut off the president of the United States from having direct contact with the people of the United States. I mean, how do you wrap your head around what just happened? This is a coup. This is, um, everybody's saying, oh, it's Trump that's, uh, he's, he's just causing the insurrection and he's the one that's creating the coup. I'm sorry. That, that's so far from the truth. It's not even funny. Yeah. These technocrats embedded in these companies, these giant big tech companies that are doing this to Trump, they have taken over control of our media. They have. This is what happens in every single revolution in history. They go for the media first. They take down the newspapers. They take down the radio. They take down the TV. And they control it for the sake of issuing propaganda. This is exactly what's happening here, except that the revolution is not a Marxist revolution. It's a technocratic revolution. Yeah. So so when we're looking at this, though, when I mentioned Michelle Obama, who put out that statement on Twitter just a few days ago after the breach in the uh, in the Capitol, this is obviously something with which the incoming administration is fine. So how do you analyze from afar what the connection is between what big tech is doing and the Democrat Party being fine with it? You know, this is I, I know this this has been a scratch, a head scratcher for a lot of people, but. For the technocrats that are controlling the the narrative, and again, we defer to the Facebooks and the Twitters and the Googles and so on, and Amazon now as well, um, all the politicians that have been raising a ruckus in Washington, D.C., honestly, they are just so many useful idiots for these technocrats. (laughs) They have have whined and complained a little bit, the politicians, about all the power that uh, the big media has, but... They haven't done anything to curtail it either. And what they really don't understand is that when you dance with the devil, you're going to get burned. Yes. 
And these people, these politicians, are going to be the first group that gets thrown under the bus. Well, when, techn- when, when the technocrats have complete and absolute outright control, they will have no need for the politicians whatsoever, and they'll simply just throw them under the bus, and they'll be gone. Oh, they boy. don't see this. Yeah. This is what democracy called for in the 1930s. They wanted FDR to come in and declare himself dictator in order for technocracy just to appear. And they said, you need to get rid of Congress, you get rid of the court system, get rid of all the politicians in the country, and simply just appoint technocrats to run everything, and we'll just be happy with that. Thank you very much. Well, this is crazy talk. It is, but how does big tech throw off politicians? It seems like right now they're very happy being in bed with everybody from the DNC. Everybody on the left seems perfectly fine with them, and they're all retaining their accounts. Kathy Griffin can hold up a severed head of President Trump with blood dripping down it. She hasn't been banned from Twitter, and yet they have the audacity to say these people who have been suspended from Twitter, the president included, are done so because it's an incitement to violence. But what happens to the Democrat politicians with technocracy? They're going to be thrown under the bus right along with it. And they, they have made uh, their, their strange bedfellows already, so to speak. You know, the Bidens of the world who have been extremely friendly towards China, um, towards embracing the technocracy that exists in China today, they have made a lot of money off of China and, uh, you know, collectively. And they look at China as if, oh, wow, this is our meal ticket for the future and stuff. So they're, they're, they have been very... Um, friendly and accommodating towards, uh, you know, the, the Chinese incursion throughout the world. But here's the, here's the thing. Does anybody really expect that if China-style technocracy comes here, that the Bidens of the world are not going to fare, that they will fare any better yeah, good. than the politicians who disappear? Uh, at will in China. (laughs) Very good question, Pat. We're going to pause for a break. Patrick Wood with us from Technocracy News and Trends. We'll be right back on Janet Meffer today. Stay with us. Hi, this is Janet Mefford, and in January, we are honoring the preborn and the more than 60 million babies whose lives have been tragically ended through abortion. The Ministry of Preborn is the direct competition to Planned Parenthood and the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. By equipping pregnancy centers with free ultrasounds, Preborn is able to meet abortion-minded women at their darkest hour and shine the light of Jesus. You see, when a young mom considering abortion walks into a preborn center, it's a divine appointment where she encounters the love of Christ and the opportunity to meet the beautiful life growing inside of her. I feel like it was meant for me to have this faith. This is something God gave me for a reason. 80% of women in crisis choose life after meeting their baby on ultrasound. Would you please join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today to help save 350 babies? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Maybe I can just have my baby. It don't matter what nobody said. The Ministry of Preborn is seeking heroes right now who will partner with them to give the gift of life to babies in crisis. Preborn believes it is God's heart to save the preborn from the abortion genocide. Would you please join with Preborn and all of us here at Janet Mefford today to help choose life for 350 babies, all gifts 
gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your gift goes toward the cause of life. One ultrasound session costs $28 and for a gift of $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. But any gift of any amount will help. $100, $200, or even a gift of $15,000 will buy an ultrasound machine. Call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. Well, if you are still reeling from the loss of President Trump's Twitter account, put your seatbelt on because you ain't seen nothing yet when it comes to big tech silencing millions of us. Pat Wood is with us, editor-in-chief of Technocracy News and Trends. We were talking about Amazon and Apple and Google and all these social media sites doing what they did over the weekend and silencing Parler and going after the president on 11 different platforms, as it turns out. And Pat, you mentioned the fact that these technocrats obviously want total control. And when they are finally in a position where they have it, the politicians will just be thrown out and, you know, they're done with them at a certain point. But you mentioned China, and and this, of course, is incredibly relevant because we had a very big scandal revealed about the incoming president and his seedy ties to China through his son and money, and we know that whole scandal. But how does China, do you think, fit into this directly? Do you see any direct links between China and the CCP and what's going on with big tech against Americans at the moment? Have you seen anything like that? Absolutely. And I've watched, um, because of my studies in technocracy, I have watched the behavior of big tech for many, many years now. And there has been a love relationship, not not corporate to corporate, but person to person. There's been a love relationship between the technocrats in big uh, big tech here and technocrats in China. And this has always been the case. They have transferred technology to China. In fact, it's been a two-way, you know, revolving door, whatever, going back and forth. But the technocrats stick together like birds of a feather. And we see this across national boundaries. And China is a perfect example. Right. So are we then facing a future like so many people are discussing online where they're extrapolating out into the future? We're going to have problems banking at some point. We're going to have problems buying things at some point or traveling our social credit scores right around the corner. How do, how do you see all of that playing out potentially? It is. You have to un- certainly a person has to understand the grand strategy as far as China is concerned. They want to take over the world. They have said so. They want to be the singular superpower. They have exported their technocratic system anywhere in the world that will take it. They've gone to South America. They've gone to Africa. They've gone to Europe. Uh, they have deep, deep hooks into America, as we know, over the, you know, over the last uh, 30 years that they've developed. And there's cross-investment going on where they own giant chunks of companies over here. And, and, and they lean on these American companies when they don't like the narrative that's taking place. They now can exert control over us, and this is coming. It's not. It's not a question of well, yeah, we wait twenty years. No, they have been working for twenty years already to encircle us with a complete technocratic mesh of control. Right, and it's already gaining huge ground here in America. And I've I've said this before many times over the years that the when technology that is illegal here in America. Uh, can't be executed here in America because it is illegal, put it that way. And they sent it to China instead where it is legal, like surveillance software, AI software for facial recognition, stuff like that. 
they send it to China to get perfected. And then they turn around and slowly re-import it back into America and break down the legal barriers here in America that allow them to run the software or run those systems here in America now. This has been a giant transfer of technology around the world that nobody's paid attention to, but this is how it happens. That's why we saw Google, for instance, uh, with this huge AI operation in China, and they intended to have this very close partnership with China until somebody discovered it, blew the whistle on it, and all of a sudden, they, oh, well, we didn't really mean to do that. That was a mistake, <laughs> but I guess they'll have to let their, you know, 50,000 square foot office space go to, you know, go to seed over in China. But uh, we've seen this revolving door with China, and these technocrats here in America love China. In fact, Elon Musk, just this last, I think within the last 10 days, he praised China as being the, really the model of where the world needs to go. Mm. And at the same time, he criticized America as being has been, you know, over the hill, whatever, wow. and needs to grow up, you know, pull up its, uh, its big boy <laughs> panties or whatever. <laughs> and, um, you know, you say, how could a person like that, like Elon Musk say it? Well, he could say it because he's a technocrat and he's in love with the technocrats that live in China. They stick together. They do. Like I said, birds of a feather stick together. Yeah. And they are. Yeah, well, it's interesting because Jack Dorsey recently retweeted Elon Musk, which I thought was odd. I think a lot of people have looked at Elon Musk Musk as a potential ally because he was a Trump supporter. Now he's moving his operations to Texas and living here in Texas. That does not thrill me because of the reasons you just stated. But uh, people need to put two and two together. And yet we have a really weird situation here, Pat, because at the same time that they're trying to cut us all off from talking to one another online, we're also cut off from gathering in person. What a perfect setup for them to be able to get a lot done without pushback. And the question becomes, do we just go out there and say, we're all reopening our businesses. We're, we're not going to be locked down anymore. We're done. We're done. We're done. I mean, would that even work with so many people already willing to go along with whatever the government tells them to do? It would be very difficult at this point. And I'll tell you, this is a, this is a conundrum. I don't have a perfect answer for it, but I will say one thing that the organization that I found in 2018, Citizens for Free Speech, is absolutely going to go go nuts this year, fighting for the First Amendment. Um, where we're, uh, I think we and everybody else has done pussyfooting. We know what the enemy is now. We know what he's like. We know what they want to do. We know what they're actually going to do, really. And only the American people at this point, individual American citizens, forget government. It's up to the people of America at this point to take the situation into hand and restore our ability to communicate. And I would, I would hasten to add, I say, well, why would I want to do that? I had this thought the other day that every inch of human progress that we've had throughout history has been predicated on free speech. Hmm. And I just, you just have to think back through some examples of that. You have to think of the examples, for instance, of the, of the apostles back in Christ day in biblical times where they were told by everybody, the Pharisees and the temple, you know, gurus, whatever, to shut up. You can't talk about Christ. <laughs> and they just simply, I mean, that was censorship, right? Right. And they simply went on and continued to talk about Christ. And look, they turned the world upside down. Yes. But we see that free speech is always at the, it always at the core of every single advancement that the human race has made. And conversely, Anytime censorship comes in, 
it's sending the human race backwards. It's sending it into um, not just backwards, traveling backwards in time, but it's sending it back into a, a position of slavery rather than freedom. <laughs> so I could say without question that this whole technocrat movement that's going on right now to take over our country, number one, it's anti-human, and number two, it's anti-civilization. It's and true. it needs to be viewed that way. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Now, Citizens for Free Speech, tell people where they can get more information about your group. Well, if they can remember Citizens for Free Speech, just put a .org at the end of it, and you'll find it immediately. <laughs> Perfect. And uh, there, there, I'll tell you, every American needs to jump on board with CFFS. There's no charge to join. It's just, you know, they just need to put your name in and get in. We've got... Over, well over 3,000 volunteers out of our 25,000-plus national membership now, Janet, which is incredible. And our volunteers are just, they're ready to march right now and go out, take to the streets, and tar- start educating people on what free speech and what communication is all about. We cannot afford to let this just die, because if we lose the ability to communicate, Janet, we have lost everything, and there will be no recovery. No, you're we right. We must get back our ability to communicate. Well said, Pat. I agree with you completely. And, you know, I was looking at, I don't know if you saw this, but the chief executive officer of Mozilla put out a statement saying that the Internet needs more than deplatforming and that we need change requiring more than just the temporary silencing or permanent removal of bad actors from social media platforms. This is a CEO who now wants to do full out censorship, I guess. So, I mean, they're openly saying this now. These people who are the garters of the Internet, do you see... Outfits like Parler or Gab, which already had its own servers, so they were kind of removed from the control of the big big boys. Do you see them having a future, or do you think big tech is going to find a way, uh, absent any interference from free speech advocates, to silence everybody? Just period, nobody will have a chance. They will have limited success for a period of time, but we, we have to remember that the opportunity for censorship goes deeper than most people understand. For instance... Um, you have all of the, the network, the physical network of routers uh, around the country that route Internet traffic. Every one of those routers has an administrator, has a software computer built into it, has an administrator who controls the traffic on that router. If the censorship gets down to that level where people can be shut off from getting you know, any traffic getting through that particular router point or point of you know, transfer, then they'll simply just disappear. They'd be like they never existed on the Internet before. Mm -hmm. And to some extent, we've seen this happen a little bit now. We've seen some people that got dropped from their ISPs, for instance, uh, websites that were, you know, quite large conservative uh, websites. And uh, they got deplatformed by the Internet service provider that hosted their website. Yeah. Uh, Here today, gone tomorrow. Oh, well, see you around. You can't stay here anymore. And we've seen this happen on the mail services like MailChimp, for instance, where they say, we don't like what you're mailing out to your people. Uh, your, your account is canceled. And they say, well, give us, give us our names. And they say, no, you can't have your names. You should, you should have backed it up before we cut you off. <sighs> um, this, this is going down to a level that's far deeper than people even know exists. Yeah. But if it, if it goes down that far, there's going to be real sparks this year. 
Well, that's right. I, I'm telling you, this is such an important thing for people to understand everything that you have been laying out for years, Pat. And I want to refer people to your websites first. Let's go back to this one on Free Speech Citizens for freespeech.org and technocracy.news. You have to read these websites and get involved. Pat Wood, so grateful for you. Thank you so much for being here as always. My pleasure, Janet. Ditto to you as well. Thank you. God bless you. Keep up the good work. We'll be back. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. I just want to mention, if you happen to follow me on Twitter, you may wonder where I am. I am not on Twitter anymore after what they did to the President of the United States and after what they did to so many prominent conservatives, suspending accounts right and left, bleeding followers from people's accounts, including my own. I said, I don't need these people. So Parlor Gab. If you want to go on social media, you want to find me, you can find me on Parler and on Gab. Now, Parler obviously is having some glitches right now because of what big tech has been doing to them. But you can find me at Janet Mefford. So you can still find me online and thank the Lord, you can still find me here. And it really is interesting to me because I've been thinking about this a lot for the last several years, actually. What happens when technocracy gets a deep enough chokehold on the United States of America that even the future of Christian radio will be in jeopardy. And I hope and pray we never reach that point. But right now, all of the attention is on the internet. And I think it's well worth your time and well worth your effort to contact your congressmen and your senators and contact some of the employees, the, you know, the Amazon employees, Twitter account. You can go there. They were the ones who are clamoring for Trump to be shut down. You can go to some of these companies. You can write to Jack Dorsey. You can tweet at him on Twitter, obviously. And you can go to Mark Zuckerberg and you can make your voice heard to these big tech companies. I'm not going to say that they're going to listen to you and immediately turn everything around. But as long as we have free speech, we ought to use it for the cause of good. Now, listen to this. I have so much to get to. I hope I can get to at least most of it. You might have heard that the chief content officer of Forbes, yes, Forbes magazine, has now warned against hiring people like Kayleigh McInerney, the spokesperson for the Trump administration or other prominent Trump administration officials. And this Stuart Stevens from Project Lincoln, this is this never Trump nutty organization with George Conway blithering on about President Trump every day. He tweets this out at Project Lincoln. We are constructing a database of Trump officials and staff that will detail their roles in the Trump administration and track where they are now. No personal info, only professional. But they will be held accountable and not allowed to pretend they were not involved. In what? In what? Yes, Trump administration officials worked for the Trump administration. That's pretty basic, but seems to me that having a job working for the administration that governs the United States is a perfectly acceptable job. There are a lot of jobs that you shouldn't have that should shame you and 
and prevent you from taking certain positions in society. But I don't think that being someone who served in the Trump administration would be one of those jobs. But again, this is the demonization, the marginalization, the polarization, the cancel culture that is just becoming normal. The funny thing is... This is interesting. Alan Favish over at American Thinker wrote a really interesting piece on this having to do with the timing, not even lining up for Trump to have incited violence at the Capitol. I don't know if you've been able to watch the entire speech that the president delivered on January 6th. It lasted just over an hour. And at about the 18 minute point into the video, Trump says, quote, I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically Make your voices heard. Did you know that The Hill omitted that quote from its article? And that was consistent with a lot of the rest of the mainstream media's coverage of the speech. I know you're shocked, right? Color me shocked. And then there was an article in ABC News. In the first part of the article in which the speech was described, the quote was omitted, where the president said, peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard as we march over to the Capitol building. And other quotes from the speech are given that lead the reader to conclude that Trump was inciting the crowd to violence. So (laughs) they pick and choose what they're going to report about the speech and try to create something that makes you think he incited violence. But here's the most interesting part about this. According to the timing of the tweets and what was going on with the speech, he says it appears that the breakdown of the barricades began at least 12 minutes before Trump's speech ended by people who were over a mile and a half away from him. Although the loudspeaker system was massive, it is doubtful that the people bringing down the barricades could hear Trump from the loudspeaker system. Extremely vivid videos of the prelude to and a breach of barricades and entry into the Capitol building can be seen on a YouTube channel that identifies independent photojournalist John Farina as the videographer. It doesn't appear that people in the crowd were listening to Trump's speech over their phones. The phones are mostly seen when being used to take pictures or videos, and the videos show plenty of faces of people who should be arrested for defying the law. But where is the evidence that they were incited to do it by Trump's speech? Now, having gone through the entire Ukrainian quid pro quo hoax impeachment scandal, we know they don't really need evidence. They don't need any evidence. There can actually be a mountain of evidence working against the left, and that's not going to stop them. That's not going to stop them. They've made their march through the institutions, and they're going to finish the the job that I guess they set out to do. So this is interesting. Now, The Hill is reporting that House Majority Whip James Clyburn yesterday suggested that the Democratic House may wait until after President-elect Joe Biden's first 100 days in office to send the Senate articles of impeachment against Trump. Huh? Yeah, asked by Jake Tapper if he thought impeachment proceedings would take time away from confirming Biden's cabinet. Clyburn responded, yes, I do have concerns, and so does Speaker Pelosi. Okay, so when Speaker Pelosi is not trying to strong arm generals into taking the nuclear codes away from the acting and duly elected commander in chief, she's working behind the scenes. How can we get him out? How can we get him out? How can we get him out? So we'll see what happens. He says, let's give President-elect Biden... The 100 days he needs to get his agenda off and running. Let's not. And maybe we will send the articles sometime after that. I'll be long gone. What's the point in that? Oh, shame him. You know, make sure that after Trump has left office that you just slap him down again, I guess, or punish him in some way again, because he hasn't been through enough. 
It's it's just astonishing. Something else that's interesting, Rob Nadelson uh, from the Epic Times, you've heard him on my show several times. He's a leading originalist scholar and law professor and constitutional expert uh, with the Independence Institute. And he's written a piece saying there's no constitutional ground for impeachment of President Trump. It's not even a matter of, well, what about the timing of the incitement? But even the charge of incitement, uh, he says here, the Constitution permits impeachment and removal of the president for treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. The only potential basis for removal from office would be commission of a high misdemeanor. We know from founding era evidence that in the Constitution, the adjective high modifies misdemeanor as well as crime. The previous impeachment proceedings were marked by a debate over the meaning of the phrase high misdemeanor. Each of the four academic experts who testified at the House of Representatives Judiciary Committee offered their own definitions. The prosecutors and the president's defense team offered their own definitions, too. This disagreement reflected an academic dispute that had been going on for many years. Based on incomplete surveys of the founding era record and on British impeachment trials, researchers had reached very different conclusions about the meaning of high misdemeanor. And unfortunately, almost no researcher had thought to examine the sources that might define the phrase authoritatively, which come from 18th century English and American law books. Uh, If the phrase high misdemeanors had a clear legal meaning and no other clear meaning, then we would expect the legal meaning to control. And in this respect, the phrase high misdemeanors would be like other recognized legal terms in the Constitution, like habeas corpus and equity and bail and things like that. The Trump impeachment proceedings, he said, inspired me to undertake a comprehensive survey of founding era legal sources to see if high misdemeanors had a defined legal meaning. And if it did, that would resolve the longstanding debate. And it turns out it was a precisely defined legal term, meaning serious crimes not meriting the death penalty, not meriting the death penalty, a high misdemeanor. So the icing on the cake from this conclusion was that it resolved some other questions that had puzzled scholars as well. And he says, observe what is excluded from the grounds for impeachment. Congress may not impeach and remove for a minor crime. And, and you go back to the timing of it. How in the world can you prove that those people who breached the Capitol did so because of something that just came out of the loudspeakers during Trump's speech when they were a mile and a half away? It's all excellent. But does it matter? Ultimately, does it matter when you look at the left and what it is that they would like to do, which is get Trump out of there as quickly as possible? We are really in uncharted waters, aren't we? But there's more to come. Stay with us on Janet Meffer today. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended in most states. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up for Liberty HealthShare. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical 
medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT or 855-585-4237. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. What did you pray for today? Good health, safety, maybe to meet a goal. Those are good things to pray for. But pastors and evangelists in the Middle East aren't praying for material blessings or for an end to the persecution or difficulties they face. Rather, they're praying for copies of God's word so that believers will be spiritually nourished and strengthened to live out their faith in this challenging part of the world. Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ in places like the Middle East, Asia, Africa, and Latin America live each day without their very own Bible. But you can send one today. Give one Bible for only $5, 20 Bibles for $100, or 200 Bibles for $1,000. Whatever you'd like to give, you can become a Bible sender by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-W-O-R-D. 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back. Thanks for being with us. Very interesting. Steve Coughlin and Rich Higgins have put together a report, and it's actually from July of 2019. That was the last update on this. It's called The Left's Strategy and Tactics to Transform America. You can find this over at Unconstrained analytics.org. And Stephen is an attorney. He's a decorated intelligence officer, an Islamic law expert. And Rich Higgins served on the National Security Council in the Trump administration as the director for strategic planning. And he was removed, actually, after warning about a deep state coup to remove the president. So these are people we want to listen to. What's very interesting about this report, which came out, you know, two years ago now, almost two years ago now, is how right they were. And you can go on unconstrainedanalytics.org if you'd like to read the entire thing. But uh, from the executive summary, here's part of what they said. They said, when associated with rising factional discord, the increased hostility from the left resonates a violence that is becoming a clear and present danger. And so they talk about this paper's objective is to provide a strategic understanding of the left. Here are some of the key findings and observations. They say the political rhetoric driving American politics runs along well-trodden paths, sustaining a political framework from a bygone era incapable of coming to terms with the political movements threatening our constitutional system today. Constrained by this archaic rhetoric, mainstream and conservative players are outmaneuvered in an information battle space they hardly perceive, responding to current threats in under-inclusive manners. The otherism strategy developed by Marxists to destroy America focuses on the systematic destruction of identity, leading to the systematic disenfranchisement of Americans from America. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that pretty much what we've seen starting to happen over this last week? It manipulates the issues of the other, yet it has nothing to do with the other. Rather, it forces a classic dialectical negation along Hegelian lines. This activity presents a clear and present danger that will succeed if not countered. 
As such, this analysis does not suggest that this is a way to understand the left. It argues that it is the only way to understand it, recognizing that it is Marxist and dialectically driven. The dominant cultural narratives of our time can best be summarized by the saying, political correctness is the enforcement mechanism of the multicultural narrative that implements neo-Marxist objectives. And it is through these narratives that the left drives policy. Narratives that conservative leaders neither control nor understand drive national policy. When Republican leaders shrink from constitutional principles for fear of being accused of racism, sexism, homophobia, or the like, they are subordinating those principles to neo-Marxist narratives designed for that purpose. Exactly what a lot of us have been saying for a while. You better be willing to be insulted. Because if you can be shut up by someone calling you a name, you're dead in the water. You really are. You are in big, big trouble. How do you ever recover? How do you ever fight for this country in any meaningful way if you can't even take an insult? And that's how it is for a lot of people. It's one thing. I understand the cancel culture argument. Nobody wants to lose their job. And even that, you you can survive that. But you can't be called a name. You better be willing to be called a name, folks, because this is this is a fight for our lives. Though these narratives may have been initially imposed, they say Republicans will adopt them over time through usage. Subjective awareness of the role one plays in such a process is neither necessary nor required. By submitting to these narratives, establishment Republicans first become pliant and then obedient to the left, accommodating it through words that work, quote unquote, that create the illusion of opposition while actually signaling surrender in the information battle space. That is exactly, I think, what we can say about the meaninglessness of those Section 230 hearings in reining in big tech as the monopolies that they actually are. We saw all of this anger and you got clips of senators getting all upset and then they do absolutely nothing. They do nothing. Why? It's the illusion of doing something without actually following through. For what reason? I don't know. Some of it, I'm sure, has to do with money from donors. Big tech gives a lot of money to politicians. Some of it may just be cowardice. Some of it may be that behind the scenes there were deals cut. Well, we'll do a little bit of a show, but we're not really going to follow through on this. Where does this leave America? When you have a party that in many respects has some good people in it. But on the other hand, there's so much frustration in this country. There's so much frustration from Trump supporters, as we all know, looking at the establishment GOP and thinking, why in the world did we vote for you? I mean, there are a lot of people saying that. That's why you see Lindsey Graham getting you know, mobbed in an airport a few days ago and people are yelling, traitor, traitor. And Mitt Romney is confronted in his airport and and yelled it on an airplane. And I don't condemn, I, I, I do not think that that's an appropriate thing to do, but I do understand how upset people are. And you can understand that. What is going on with this? And And when you look at this further in the context of what Pat Wood was talking about, that on the one hand, we have, Marxist Hegelian tactics taking place. And I think the discussions about communism actually are helpful in understanding how a lot of these DNC types are operating and leftist activists are operating. There is a whole lot of Marxist kind of thinking going on here. But the bigger picture 
and this is exactly why I wanted to bring Pat back on the show. The bigger picture is that in the final analysis, those people who are just thinking as Marxists, like an AOC, will ultimately be useful idiots for the technocrats because the technocrats are the ones who are actually seizing power right now. And sure, they appear to be in lockstep with the Obamas and in lockstep with all of these politicians who are like, okay, great, this sounds good to me, go get those conservatives. But in the final analysis, are they going to be left standing? Or are they going to be discarded on the ash heap of history and their ideas gone as well? Who knows? Are they going to be censored from the internet at some point? Can we live without the internet? I don't know. We're a pretty digital world, although I keep reminding myself I've lived most of my life without the internet or a good portion of it anyway. So I know life is possible to be lived and enjoyed without the internet. The problem is everything is digital. Everything is digital and it's getting more and more and more that way all the time. We have a lot of people, for example, who will write letters or you know, communicate through some kind of more archaic means and say, I don't have a, I don't have access to the internet. You know, I hear you on the radio and I don't have access to the internet. And sometimes when we hear from you, we think, oh, that's so great in a way, (laughs) you know, to be able to escape the internet, you know, it is, it is a blessing and a curse in some ways. And we're seeing more of the curse side right now, but it's a very important thing for us to be praying about because we have to stand for free speech. And I think Pat was right. Without free speech, what do you have? What do you have? We have to fight for it. It's not just freedom of religion. It's free speech as well. Those things go hand in hand. And listen, before I run out of time, I just want to remind you that we are really excited during this Sanctity of Human Life Month to be partnering once again with our friends at Preborn. This is a wonderful ministry. So phenomenal. At a time when we are turning into a, you know, a period of time now where we're going to have a pro-abortion administration, it's more important than ever to get behind the cause of life. And for a gift of $28, you can purchase an ultrasound for a woman in a crisis pregnancy who comes into a crisis pregnancy center and then is able to be told, do you want to have a free ultrasound just to look at your baby? And a lot of times these women will say yes, even though they want to be on the path to abortion and that's their intention, they'll say yes. Eight out of 10 women who get that ultrasound will choose life. It is one of the most awesome ways of saving human beings that I've ever seen in the pro-life movement. And you can get involved. Again, a gift of $28 will buy one ultrasound for one of these women in a crisis pregnancy. $140 will sponsor five ultrasounds. But any gift that you're able to afford will help. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's the phone number to call, 855 402 29, or if you're internet minded, there's a banner to click at janetmefford.com. Again, janetmefford.com, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229. And we greatly appreciate whatever you're able to do. We have a goal this month of being able to save 350 babies' lives, but we really need you. We really need your help. So if you can help, we would welcome you to call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229. Thank you so much from all of us here at Janet Meffer today. We'll see you next time.